Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to learn to earn with Tyler Chef. Welcome back to the Cashflow Guys podcast. This week, we're going to talk a little bit more about REO properties, bank-owned properties, and some of the things you should look out for. Now, I wanted to talk more specifically about the contracts themselves, because I know, no matter what you guys tell me all the time, of course we read the contracts, Tyler. Yeah, we read them. That's garbage. We all know you don't read them. Now, I'm not going to sit through this episode and read you the contracts verbatim, but there's some high points that I do want to cover to make sure that you're fully understood of understanding what's going on with the contracts. Here's just some common things that pop out with me that uh, I always bring to my buyer's attention. Now, it has gotten to the point, some of these REO bank-owned contracts are so ridiculous, they are so far out of line, uh, I had to to make an extra addendum uh, just to bring these ridiculous things to my buyer's attention so they don't look at me cross-eyed when (laughs) they come up at the closing table. First thing I want to talk to you about is there's websites out there called XOME, XOME, or I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Zome, uh, in home search, they are requiring a $2,500 deposit on a credit card. So before you bid on an auction, they're going to hit your credit card for $2,500. They're not very good at uh, disclosing what that's for. And what I've have run into problems where I've heard of people making those bids on those auction sites and then having difficulty getting their $2,500 back if they don't win. Uh, so that's one thing I would be very careful of when you're giving out your credit card for deposits and whatnot that uh, you make sure you have some sort of recourse if you want to be able to get it back. The credit card companies are cracking down these days, and it's more difficult to get refunds back on your credit card. So when you see these auction sites, they want to hit your credit card. Be very careful, especially if you're bidding on more than one house. Unless you've got $50,000 worth of uh, available credit, I wouldn't be letting them hit that credit card over and over again. So that's just something you might want to think about starting out. Uh, this applies to home search, hubzoo.com, in certain cases with hubzoo.com, certain cases with auctions.com. Uh, and the other thing is they're going to hit you for a 5% on average between a 5 and I've seen as much as a 10% buyer's premium. And everybody asks, what is a buyer's premium? Well, essentially that is a upcharge that the bank or the auction house is charging to facilitate the transaction. Usually a portion of that, I know, for example, on Hubzoo, that goes to comp- that in part goes to compensate the agent that's representing you. And this always makes me chuckle. I've had people say, I don't, I don't want to use an agent on these sites to do my bidding for me because I'm going to get a better deal. And I got news for you. The auction company is going to charge you the buyer's premium no matter what. So this is the one time in life that a, a real estate commission has actually already paid for it. You don't have a choice. They're going to take that buyer's premium whether you use an agent or you don't use an agent. So I would invest that money wisely. Make sure you find an agent that has extensive experience with foreclosure properties and more importantly, getting them closed. 
that's the most important part, especially with these auction sites. A lot of times you'll get these clearing houses that are in big hubs like Atlanta, L.A., Dallas, places like that. And all they really are is a relay for a phone center over in Bangladesh where you get some guy over in Bangladesh that barely speaks English on the phone whose only job really it is to fill out the spreadsheet and make sure that all every, all the property, all the winning auctions get closed. They're not concerned about what happens after the sale, I can assure you that. You know, if you are working with a good agent, they should have their own title companies in their back pocket that they are used to working with that can control the transaction and make sure that you are receiving marketable title as a buyer. I don't care if you're buying an REO or any property. There is no good reason to not control the title. In other words, as a buyer, control who does the closing. You have that right. And I know a lot of people will say, agents will listen to this going, nope, in my area, the seller picks the title company. And I, and I always follow that up with one but one question and it usually shuts them up. Considering the buyer assumes all the liability from the day of closing forward, give me one good reason why the seller would be wanting to control that buyer's liability. Is the buyer, is the seller willing to assume liability for any of the errors made by the title company they choose? And that usually will make them shake their head and kind of think about it for a minute. As a buyer, you should control who does the title closings. I use insured title. That's who I've been using for years. Uh, insured title over in, in Tampa, Florida. They can close anywhere in the country. If you're interested in the insured title, to get, drop me an email. I don't care where your closings are. Uh, they can help you. You can reach them at 813-855-3585. Now, I'm not recommending them because they're... They don't sponsor my show. I don't get any money from them. I don't get any special favors. I'm recommending them because they're the best in the business. Bottom line, they are the best in the business. I cannot even begin to count how many closings I've had with them, and I have never had a problem, and I've closed in multiple states with them, never had any issues. They look out for my interest because I am their client. If you need a title company that is doing the same for you, then I would think about giving them a call. Again, they are not a sponsor of the show in any way, uh, but they are good at what they do, and that's why I recommend them. So think about that as you're getting ready to do your next deal. Now, getting into the contracts, I just want to read you a couple different things that I've seen lately that have that have jumped out to me in contracts that I make, make you kind of go, hmm, what's going on? I'm going to read you a couple things here. One of them says, this is in a, uh, a Freddie Mac contract, and it's put out by the listing agent, and it says... Additional addendums will be required by the seller and will be provided by the listing agent once the price and terms have been agreed upon. No changes may be made to the seller's addendum. So basically what they're telling us is once we agree to everything, we're going to come back and change it with another sheet of paper and you don't have a right to say boo about it. If you don't like it, Go do business elsewhere. That's essentially what I'm saying. Now, I suppose I should do my discloser for those bottom feeders out there that unfortunately are listening to my show and are, are litigious. I am not an attorney. I don't pretend to be an attorney. Therefore, I'm simply giving my opinion. If you want legal advice, seek the opinion of an attorney that you can pay for. Don't send me a bill because I won't pay it. In other words, you can't get me because I'm hiding behind a bunch of land trusts and, and, and anyway, so good luck with that. Back to the show. Yeah, they're actually saying here in writing, which is just awesome. Uh, it's just hilarious to me. This is a Freddie Mac. Uh, this is a federally uh, produced form. Flat out says additional addendums will be required by the seller. An addendum basically is an add-on to a contract. 
they say they acknowledge that, yeah, we understand that we've already agreed to another contract with you, but now we're going to change it and you don't get any, any say so in it. So think about that for a minute before you go signing. And of course you all read the contracts before you sign them. I'm sure that's always going to be the case. Isn't it? Of course not. Second thing under earnest money, it says all earnest money will be held with the seller's title company as indicated on the seller's addendums and is payable to the seller's designated title agent. I find that interesting, especially if you as the buyer are using your title company, your escrow company to hold title. They want control over your money. The whole idea behind having a title company is to have a disinterested third party and an intermediary holding the money. Apparently that's not the case when you deal with a bank. It's their rules or no rules. Another one down here, it says contract. It says seller does not pay documentary stamps on the deed. Now, typically, at least in my market, the seller usually pays doc stamps on the deed. It is a point of negotiation, but at least they clearly say right here in the contract, there's no way the seller is going to pay doc stamps. These are things that you need to be aware of when you're bidding on these. And yes, they are bids, whether you like it or not. Bidding on these foreclosure properties is that as a buyer, you are generally going to get hit with all the fees. They're going to take it out of you somehow. Another thing it says in here, which I find interesting, is it talks about closing days. Here it says for a cash transaction, they need 30 days to close. I find that very interesting. I'm going to move on to the primary residence or second home or, or owner-occupant forms that you see come over from Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, and, and HomePath and all that stuff. Here's the thing, folks, and I hear people do this all the time, and I just shake my head. Do not misrepresent your position when you are bidding on these properties. In other words, if you are legitimately an investor, don't pretend to be an owner-occupant or a, uh, a residential buyer. What I mean by that is don't say and don't swear in writing that you're going to move into the house unless you absolutely intend on doing just that. Don't get caught up in this. This is something that people get caught up in a lot. And they think because the owner occupants, they get first priority in bidding usually on a lot of these government-backed programs. So they think, and, and, and I've heard agents tell them this, shame on you, dirty realtors. They've said, just go ahead and put down that you're an owner occupant. We've got a better chance of getting this accepted. That's that's true. You do have a better chance of getting accepted. However, you are opening yourself up to a huge amount of liability. Not worth playing games. I can tell you some some horror stories of, of that I've heard recently about people that have gotten caught. Here's a good example. Uh, in the agreement, it says, I will not resell, convey, or otherwise grant any interest in property, list for sale, or rent a property in whole or in part to a third party within one year of the date of closing of the sale. I want to revisit that so you're clear. When you buy a home path or a home steps, either one, Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae, foreclosure, there is a one-year, at least that's what this document says, a one-year restriction from you selling the reselling the property or re-renting the property. That's if you're going to be, if you sign as an owner-occupant. Now, obviously, if you buy as an investor, this is not going to apply. If you're up front and you're signing as an investor, it's not going to apply. In other words, don't go and be all think you're going to be slick and buy it as a homeowner, then stick a tenant in there and go, well, I haven't sold it. I'm renting it. They've even covered that. They will catch you because from time to time, they send people out randomly 
And in some cases, they will send mail randomly to check to see if this is the case. So let's just assume that you did get caught. Let's talk about that. It says here, in the event that I list for sale, remember, even if you don't even actually have to sell it, you just have to try to sell it. Same thing for renting. You don't have to actually rent it. They will get you just for the attempt. Just for the attempt. It says, in the event that I list for sale or rent the property in whole or in part to another party within one year of the date of closing, in breach of this agreement, I agree to pay the seller as liquidated damages the greater sum of either $10,000 or any gains that accrue to me as a result of the transaction. That means if you flipped it and made twenty grand, well, you're going to write a check to the federal government for twenty grand because you've breached the contract. You've committed fraud. Not to mention, I imagine there is some sort of civil or criminal liability that goes right along with this, over and above this. It goes on to say, uh, the difference between the total sales price listed in the above reference contract for sale and the sales price at which the property was resold and or the total rents to be paid or paid by the tenant of the property over the course of the tenancy as shown in the lease agreement. I also agree to provide the seller any documents related to these amounts, including but not limited to the sales contract or lease agreement upon request. Think about that, folks. <laughs> They're basically saying you're agreeing to incriminate yourself, number one. But if you do try to make a profit off of this, if you do try to not play by the rules, they're going to bury you. They're going to take every bit of profit that you got coming to you and shame on you. Well, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy if you're not playing by the rules. I'm, those of you that know me know that I play by the rules. I don't like people that don't play by the rules. And that goes right down to the folks that are committing fraud and trying to wholesale or misrepresent the, who they are or what they're doing with the properties with some of these bank-owned foreclosures. The banks don't want you to wholesale these things. Bottom line, they put rules in place they do not allow assignments and yes you can there's always a there's a way around everything but guys here's the deal man they don't want you to do that just don't do it generally the people that are wholesaling reos off the mls are usually wholesalers that are newbies or they just simply don't have any skills in negotiating they can't go out and talk to a real person all they really have the only skills they have is sitting behind a computer typing out offers and hoping that the bank will accept one of them and then finding some for, some poor schlep that's willing to pay more than retail for these bank-owned properties. So when you see these, you see a wholesaler that's trying to flip these bank-owned foreclosures, that should generally tell you you're dealing with a rookie or somebody who's just not flying right. And I would tend to avoid those type of people. That's just me, though. It says here also on section nine, it says, I agree that should I refuse to honor any demand made by the seller pursuant to the contract of sale, the seller shall have the right to initiate legal action against me to enforce the seller's rights, and I will pay all costs or expenses, including but not limited to reasonable attorney's fees and cost of collection enforcement incurred by the seller. That means if you don't play by the rules, not only can the seller come after you, but they can send, they can, you, you're stuck paying their legal fees. You're going to pay the attorney. It's going to fry you. Well, does that make a lot of sense? Is it even worth going down that road? I say no, but that's up to you, I guess. Another thing I want to bring to your attention here is that 
They will also pay for the title policy since the buyer is using the seller's choice of title company. Here's a case where they just assume that the seller's going to choose the title company does the closing. Again, this is a point of negotiation, and I hear this all the time. Well, the bank won't let me. Well, then pass on the property because I'm sure you, the bank is going with the lowest bidder when it comes down to who's doing the closing. The banks will always go for the lowest bidder. Do you really want the lowest bidder doing your title work? Do you think that makes good sense? Does that sound reasonable or rational? To some people who think, oh, that's a great idea. I think that makes total sense. Those with a brain would probably think otherwise. When you control the title company, that does, when you control who does the closing for your property, you control the quality of the title work. And people are going to ask me, they ask me this all the time. Well, that's great, but how do I know if I got a good title company or not? Well, I've already told you. The one I use is exceptional. I use them all the time. There's one example for you right there. Another great way of finding out is pick up the phone, number one, see if they answer. Number two, ask questions and listen to their answers. If they know what they're talking about, great. Ask them to send you a couple of their most recent title commitments. So you can take a look at them, see if they've got a bunch of ridiculous exceptions on there. Take a look at their fees. See if they got a bunch of junk fees built in there. See if they ask realtors, ask lenders. Realtors and lenders will give you a real good idea of who a good title company is. Especially now since they did away with the kickbacks. Now you actually have to use them based on what they do for you. Not because they're giving you a free t-shirt and a coffee mug. I'm glad they finally did away with that. In this one section here it says, Per paragraph 10 of the seller's addendum, the buyer will be responsible for all other costs associated with the sale of the property. Very general statement now. I know a lot of agents and a lot of hotshot investors, they don't bother to read the contracts. Well, I've signed 100 of those before. They all look the same. So how do you know what they're sliding in there? And in my last episode, we talked about some of the gimmicks that the banks use. They are not your friend, and they are not out here to look out for you. The 1950s has gone away. It's a wonderful life no longer exists. This is the real world. These banks are, are, are better positioned to take advantage of you than a private party is. And they know that you're afraid to sue them. Because if you do try to say no, they're going to go take their toys and play somewhere else. And you're going to be sitting outside in the cold, knocking on the glass as they're looking at you from the inside, all warm and cozy, giggling at you. Don't even bother trying to go up against the banks. But at the same time, you need to understand what you're signing. You need to absolutely understand what you're signing and make sure you read through this paperwork. Now, here's a little notice I saw on an addendum to a real estate purchase contract. This was a sale that we did recently for a client of ours. And now I will back up by saying this is my client is an experienced investor. When we make bids on these properties, they know exactly what they're getting into. And we are getting extraordinary deals on these properties because we're able to negotiate directly with the asset managers. That's the way we've set it up. So uh, that's why I say with these, you know, when you're looking at this paperwork, you have to assume the worst. So when we do our bidding, we are certainly assuming the worst. Here's an example. Notice the property that is the subject of this addendum is subject to prior sale or withdrawal from market at any time without notice and blank. That's the servicing company reserves the right to consider and reject all offers received for the property, any offer to purchase must be based solely on the purchaser's own investigation. No representations or warranties will be made by the servicing company, except to be provided by this addendum, and any sale will be subject to the terms and conditions of this addendum. Essentially, what they go on to say is, we're letting you know that although we're 
we agree to sell it to you now, we may change our, our mind between now and the closing date because we may get a better offer. The mortgage insurance may pay a claim. We may get a refund. There's all kinds of reasons that the bank could back out of the sale last minute, leave you holding the bag. Now, in most cases, usually there is some verbiage in the contract, or at least there should, that says in the event the bank backs out of their agreements, that they will give you back your earnest money. If that's not in there, you should mandate that it is. When you're dealing with this bank-owned stuff, you need to make sure that you have an attorney somewhere in your back pocket that understands these contracts and can help you interpret these things and demystify them because real estate agents are not trained to do this. I can tell you that right now. I've been doing this for years. That's the only reason I know what I'm doing on this stuff, but most agents have no clue what these contracts say, nor do they ever read them. So if you're serious about buying bank-owned properties, I would strongly suggest that you find an attorney in your state or where you're buying these properties that truly understands what these things are saying and can explain it to you so you understand the risks. Now, if you are an experienced investor and you understand the risks, knock yourself out. But if you're a newbie and this is your first property and, you've, and you're, you're just trying to do the right thing here and make yourself some extra money, be very, very afraid. Be very careful and take the time to read these contracts. Those of you that are wholesaling these REOs, don't think that these all this is not subject to you. You can personally be held responsible for non-performance in these contracts. These banks will and can come after you. Can and will, I should say, come after you and hold you responsible. And they don't care if you're buying them in an LLC. If you're buying them in an LLC, any moron can go on the state website and figure out who owns the LLC in about 10 minutes. If they want you, they're coming to get you. Understand that. So if you're not flying right, you may wind up in front of a judge, and it would really be terrible if you had to explain to yourself why you breached a contract or why you lied or misrepresented yourself on a contract and put the big bad bank at uh, at odds. That's not a good place you want to be in. Another little thing that's common that I say in these things, it says that the closing does not occur by the closing date. The agreement shall automatically terminate and the seller shall retain any earnest money as liquidated damages. There should be a clause written in there that says, unless a written extension is agreed upon. Now, in in most cases, the bank will usually have some sort of verbiage in there that says, if we agree to an extension, there's an extension fee, and in this case, the one I have in my hand is saying $100 a day extension fee if you don't close on time, that does not address whose fault it is that it doesn't close on time, and nine times out of ten, the fault lies on the servicing company that's servicing the note. They will drag out getting the paperwork to the title companies to get these things closed. In the meantime, you are going to pay $100 a day per diem even though it's not your fault or not anybody on your side of the transaction's fault. And you could sit there and scream and cry and pout and go on and on and on, jump up and down saying, it's not fair, it's not fair. The bank doesn't care. If you don't like it, then the bank's just going to cancel the contract and you got nothing. Now, if you've already paid for an appraisal, you've paid for a survey, you've paid for a home inspection, you could be out well over $1,000. You need to be on board with when you write the offer for these these foreclosure properties that you're essentially walking away from $1,500 every time you sell and you sign yourself on the line if you have these inspections done. And why would you buy without an inspection? Unless you are a very experienced investor, you should be getting inspections and whatnot to make sure that everything is the way it's supposed to be. But if you're not experienced and you're not getting inspections, then I would be be afraid, be very, very afraid. Now, it says here, in the event that the purchaser requests an extension of the closing date, the seller and the seller agrees, remember, they don't have to agree, purchasers shall pay the seller a per diem extension fee of $100 a day. 
So quick math, if the if they delay for a week, there's seven hundred bucks. Two weeks, fourteen hundred, and you can see how it just snowballs from there. Again, remember the banks are not your friend. They are not there to protect you. They are simply there to dispose of assets. Once you get your head around that and you understand that and believe it to be fact, and you truly get buyer beware behind you, you'll be good to go. You're not going to successfully sue the banks because they can outspend you. They're going to hire better attorneys than what you can afford. And all you're going to do if you sue them anyway is waste a bunch of money. The only people getting rich when people get sued is the attorneys, and any good attorney will tell you that. You have to understand you have to mentally prepare to write off that, that initial cost, those initial costs, and put yourself out there. If you're willing to do that, then knock yourself out. Hey, bid these up and see what you can do. Here's my favorite, one of my favorite ones. Purchaser acknowledges and agrees that neither the seller nor the seller's agents have made nor will make any oral or written representation or warranty regarding the accuracy of the address of the property, which means if you sell them by the wrong property because they gave you the wrong address, <laughs> this one cracks me up, you can't hold them responsible. So if you buy Uncle Tom's house next door by accident, well, whoopsie. Can't hold the bank responsible, even though they're the ones that goofed it up. You see, they are hot potato hands off. Here's one of my favorites, occupancy status of property. Basically, what this little clause says is that the seller does not make any, as agents or assigns, don't make any warranties, representations, implied or expressed, relating to the existence of any tenants or occupants in the property, unless otherwise noted. Purchaser acknowledges and agrees that the closing of this transaction shall be deemed purchaser's reaffirmation that neither any tenants or occupied or occupants at the property unless otherwise noted seller shall not be responsible for evicting or relocating any tenants or occupants or personal property at the property prior to the subsequent closing unless otherwise agreed to in writing by the seller here's the thing if you are not going to see the property the day before closing and the day of closing you might want to rethink that process a squatter could show up on the doorstep the day of closing, the day before, before closing, two weeks before closing, establish their little residency, put down their, their stake, and you are responsible to get them out, not the bank. I've heard of people getting burnt by this. This happened down in St. Petersburg. Guy showed up one day and was like, nope, it's my house. And the new the buyer was like, said, well, I'm going to call the bank and I'll tell them. And the bank, frankly, could care less. The bank's like, well, that's your problem. You'll deal with it. So the guy bought a house with a non-paying tenant already in place. Awesome. Some of the waivers that we're going to go over real quick. Uh, waivers are any all rights to file and maintain an action against the seller for specific performance. That means if the seller decides they don't want to sell you the house, suddenly the bank says, screw you. You can't sue them. You are waiving the right to sue them. Isn't that awesome? Any right to invoke any other equitable remedy, which means if any, you get any award for anything that's, that has to do with this house against the seller, you can't do that. You don't have any rights. Any claims arising from the adjustments or prorations in errors in calculating adjustments or prorations that are made to discover after closing. That basically means if they goofed up the numbers, if anybody screwed up the numbers, you cannot hold the seller responsible and you have to make it right. Unbelievable. Seller may have the right, unilateral right, at their sole and absolute discretion to extend the closing date or terminate the agreement. If full payment of any mortgage insurance claim related to the loan previously secured the property is not confirmed prior to the closing date. If they have sold or agreed to sell the loan secured by the property to another party. 
these things are actually on paper. I cannot believe it. So if they sold it, they can sell it out from underneath you at all time, at any time. Think about this as you're running a check to your home inspector. Uh, here's one of my favorites. Assignment of agreement. Purchaser shall not assign the agreement without the express written consent of the seller. Seller, on the other hand, may assign the agreement at its sole discretion without prior notice or consent of the purchaser. Isn't that special? Talk about double jeopardy. They can do whatever they want. They clearly said right here, they can do whatever they want. You have absolutely no rights as the buyer. Again, these are bank-owned foreclosures. If you know what you're getting yourself into and you're an experienced investor and you're willing to take the risk, and there are cases these can turn out to be worthwhile, perhaps, but not always. The bottom line is, caveat emptor, buyer beware. Absolutely, buyer beware. And if you're not sure what you're doing, and if you're new, if you're a newbie, and granted, this seems to be the low-hanging fruit. These are right there in your face. They're all over the place. You see them. Everybody runs out and gets in a big rush to buy these. And let's say 50% of the time, there are no issues. But what about the other 50%? What would happen if you bought a house and then found out later to rehab it, you did the rehab, you did everything right, and then found out later that there was a $50,000 tax lien from 10 years ago that's still stuck on this house. And then you signed an agreement that said you cannot go back and hold the bank responsible. And you say to yourself, well, I'm going to sue them anyway. Good, well, good luck for that because the first attorney you talk to is going to tell you the first thing they want to see is about a $20,000 retainer to go up against Bank of America or whoever. You think about this. These are things that you should be thinking about before you're out there making bids on these bank-owned properties. As always, if you have questions for me and you want to get together and have, and have a conversation to help you get unstuck, go to cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler. I have a very small number of spots left available in my one-on-one -on -one coaching program. My group coaching program is coming up in October slash November, somewhere in there. But my private coaching program, I have few spots available left, and then I'm going to be closing that program for a while so I can focus on the students. If you want more information on obtaining coaching, whether it be private or group, go to cashflowguys.com forward slash coach. Cashflowguys.com forward slash coach. And as always, the easiest way to interact with me, ask questions, and get your questions answered right away is to go to cashflowguys.com forward slash group. When you go to forward slash group, it will take you to my Facebook page. My Facebook group page, rather. That's the Cashflow community. I am in there as are the guests on the show, and we will be happy to answer any questions you have right there in the Facebook group for the benefit of all the members. And as always, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to what we have today, and I hope you found today's episode informative, and we will see you again next week. Thank you very much. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.